Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Assistant Director of Career Services, Travis Klein. And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And drumroll please for our guest today. I'm Dr. Ashley Black. I'm an associate professor of English education in the Department of Language, Literature, and Writing. Welcome. 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 Thank you. We're very excited to have you on here as English education, English in general, really any language. I don't know how many guests we've had in that area. So I'm very excited. Not many. (laughs) I can't remember. (laughs) So welcome. And can you tell us How long have you been at Northwest? And maybe just a little bit about yourself. Sure. I came to Northwest in 2013. So I'm beginning my ninth year um, as a faculty member here. I'm originally from the state of Alabama. So you might be able to hear that a little bit, right? But I've been here, yeah, like I said, for nine years. I've been in the same department. I teach courses in composition. I work with our future uh, middle and high school English teachers. And another part of my job that I really enjoy is I'm also graduate coordinator of our English program. So I work with recruiting and advising all of our graduate students, as well as our accelerated program students. So kind of a lot of things on my plate, but you know, that's what makes it interesting. Before we ask about career-related questions, I'm mm-hmm. interested here. So first of all, Travis, I want to put a plug in for Rebe, like mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> because Rebe works in our office and is also an English education major. And we chatted with her a season or two ago. Can you sort of explain the, because I think one of the things behind the English or language programs is that grad school piece. Yes. Can you kind of talk about like, what types of students are you recruiting for grad school? What programs and how that benefits those students? Absolutely. So the programs that we have, we have an MA program in English, which is a 30-hour program. Um, And we've constructed it in a way that allows students to kind of make the most of the program directed more towards their own professional goals. So we have one required class, and that's our Intro to English Studies class. The other classes, students get to pick and choose how they want to construct their own program. So whenever we have students who they might be coming out of one of our programs, right, whether it's an English program, one of our writing majors, we have had students come in from other disciplines, right? So whether maybe they were studying history or communication, and they just want to maybe hone in on their writing skills, maybe their reading skills, their their analytic skills. Um, So we're really just looking for students who enjoy reading, enjoy writing, um, whether it's professional, creative, creative writing, maybe some literary studies type writing, and just who want to engage in, in ideas, really. Does that sound like it's up your alley, Travis? I mean, mm-hmm, absolutely. I'm not, yes, not, Travis. To, not to use my <laughs> podcast to sell you on this, Travis, but I, he has been interested in that program for a while. And so mm-hmm. I think listening to those things, it's it's good to see that you can match it up sort of with your interests. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So how do you recruit grad students? Well, one of the ways that we recruit, of course, we love to keep our Bearcats around, right? So we do have an accelerated program that's really directed toward 
our English education students, our English majors, and then any writing majors, right? So it's really trying to kind of recruit from within. And we give students the opportunity to work toward that MA degree while they are still an undergraduate student. So after they kind of go past that 60 credit hour mark, they can start, you know, kind of double dipping classes, right? So let's say, for example, our English education students, they're all required to take young adult literature, which is a 500 level class. So if they're in the accelerated program, they can take it to complete that undergrad degree, but it can also count toward their future MA at the same time. So that's one way we try to get students in. They can actually do 15 credit hours, which is half of that program technically as an undergraduate student. So that's one way we're trying to really recruit those students. And we're also reaching out to other school districts in our area, trying to reach out to the Kansas City area. A lot of times our our students come back, you know, whether they've been in the workforce for a couple of years and now they're just ready to come back home, right, to Northwest and to keep going. So you mentioned analytic skills. Yes. I don't think people often associate that with an English degree. Yes. Tell me how you develop analytic skills in your students. My expertise is in is in teaching reading, so with literacy skills. So when we talk about analytic reading or analytic thinking, we're really wanting students to be able to go beyond just merely comprehending what they read, right? So whenever you're reading something for your class, And sure, it's always nice that you can kind of summarize what you've read to me, but if you can really go beyond and tell me why something is important, pick out the most important details, maybe tell me the things that aren't as important. How do these ideas connect to something that you already know? Or are these new ideas, right? Are they something that I need to really dig into a little bit deeper, right? So we're really wanting students to be able to take, to kind of take things apart, right, in a way that we talk about like divergent thinking, right? And emergent thinking. So how can I go deeper? And then how can I use this to expand, right? My knowledge. So so you mentioned being from Alabama. So h- how did you make the journey to Northwest Missouri from Alabama? So when I was working on my PhD at the University of Alabama, you know, and you go on the job market and the job market, I'm, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who might be on it. It's a little bleak, right, for faculty, tenure track faculty positions specifically. So when you're applying and you get a job, you get a job offer, I should say, you really, you know, take it seriously. So at a couple of places, Northwest was the furthest away um, from home that I applied. But when I came to campus, it really felt like a place that I knew that I could be comfortable and that I could be supported in my department with my colleagues and just the culture on campus was something that really spoke to me. And I, yeah, made the decision to, to pack my bags. Nine years later, you're still here. (laughs) And I'm still here. Right. Did you always, were you always interested in English or languages? How did you, you know, from, from a, a young student, you know, maybe a high schooler, how did you decide to pursue that academic career? Yes, I've always been interested in English, um, in the in the field of English. And I think for me, when I was in high school, I always enjoyed my English courses, of course. But when I was a junior in high school, we read The Great Gatsby, right, by F. Scott Fitzgerald. 
And I just remember having a really fun conversation in my English class with my peers and with my teacher and just thinking, man, that was really fun. Like I would love to find a a job where I can just read books and talk to other people about books. (laughs) So that's kind of how it started for me. So when I went to college, I did go in studying English education. Luckily for me, I wasn't someone who who changed their major a lot. I mean, I, I stuck with it. So with the understanding that you were going to then teach? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I got an undergraduate degree in English education. I taught high school English for four years before I left the classroom um, to go back to graduate school. And what precipitated that? That's a big decision. (laughs) It is a big decision. While I was in the classroom, I did work on my master's degree. So I had that done and finished up. And I, I thought that I was finished with school, as one always does. I think part of it for me is that I what I learned that I enjoyed the most about my job was actually talking about teaching with other teachers. And especially when I would have like undergraduate um, future teachers come to observe my classes, just talking with them about teaching, talking with them about making connections with students and how to really construct lessons that meet the needs of their students and get them interested and engaged and motivated in learning. So I wanted to kind of shift gears a little bit in terms of teaching content, which is something I still love to do. I still, I'm teaching a Southern literature course right now. I still love teaching my content, but I really enjoy working with future teachers and helping them get really excited about what that means and what it can look like in their classrooms. So we often hear in all of this conversation about grad school, et cetera, students come Mm -hmm. to our office and they say, I need to attend grad school right after I get done with my undergraduate degree or I'll never go back and do it again. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on sort of that mindset? I think it's really, you know, it's individual to each student. Um, It really just depends. For students who are going into a future classroom, sometimes it can be helpful if they want to just come right back. But oftentimes I try to encourage students to maybe take a year or two off for a couple of different reasons. One, that first year of teaching is going to be overwhelming. It just is. You're doing everything for the first time. You have to make everything brand new. You're getting to understand yourself as the grown-up in the room, right? Um, Which was such (laughs) a Which is a big deal. That's a huge deal. (laughs) Man, I can still remember my very first day of teaching. So sometimes it's helpful just to focus on that, just for your own like mental health. But also I think taking a little bit of time off really helps that graduate experience be a little bit more meaningful, especially in education. So if you're coming back and you're taking courses um, in the School of Ed, and you're really talking about teaching, it means so much more when you can envision what that would look like with your own students and in your own classroom, as opposed to it being kind of like a hypothetical situation. So that's kind of what I generally like to like to encourage students to do. Now, of course, if we have like some Northwest accelerated students <laughs> who are already halfway through their program, you know, go ahead and come back and we'll get you wrapped up in three semesters, right? That's a good, that's a real good, good plug point. right yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. yes. 
So one thing we found, especially when we talk to folks who want to be teachers or who have been teachers, a lot of times when they were a student, they had a teacher that really made an impact on them and kind of Mm -hmm. helped drive that. Did you ever have a teacher that kind of made you really like, I want to do that. I want to be that person for somebody else. Absolutely. It was my senior high school teacher, Miss Carlton. She was a teacher of British literature. She was young. She was energetic. She... I mean, now this was never me. Like I never got on top of my desk, a la like (laughs) Dead Poet Society, but she did that. She felt comfortable enough to do that, but she was just so passionate and she really made, you know, connections with us. We had great relationship with her. So it just, you know, showed me what teaching could look like. It doesn't have to be the person in front of the room who's all in control and you just sit there and be quiet and listen to what I have to say. I mean, it was a really creative environment and that just really spoke to me. You know, after you taught and you decided you were going to go back and get your PhD, Mm -hmm. what were some of the considerations that you put into making that decision? Part of it, of course, is financial, right? I mean, I had certainly been in the classroom. I had been earning my own money for a couple of years. I had my own fiscal responsibility to consider. Um, So really looking for a, a university where I could maybe have a graduate assistantship, I think was really important for me. And I was lucky enough to have one. Um, which afforded me the opportunity to earn a monthly stipend and to have my tuition covered. So that really meant a big deal um, to me. And I think, I mean, honestly, for me at the time, I was unmarried. I didn't have an extended family of my own. So I didn't have those types of considerations to, to really think about. So it was kind of easy for me to just pick up and move and go back to school, which, you know, was a really fortunate circumstance for me at the time. Let's talk about graduate assistantships. Yes. If I'm a student who's looking at pursuing grad school, how do I go about finding them? Or I maybe I don't even know what that is. Maybe you could help help me understand what that actually is. For me, from my personal experience, when I applied to graduate schools, I went ahead and tried to communicate with someone in the department who was in my area and just reached out and said, hey, I'm I'm applying here. I'm interested in hearing if you have any positions available, Um, because some universities have graduate assistantships where maybe it's kind of like a job. Well, they're all like jobs, (laughs) but, you know, there are graduate assistants, research assistants. There might be a teaching assistant and all of those positions look a little bit different. Right. So for me, being a graduate assistant, I was there just to aid other faculty in their research efforts or to do whatever they needed me to do, right? After a certain amount of time, I was able to teach as well and be a teacher of record. So larger universities typically do have those types of opportunities in terms of a teaching assistant. At Northwest, we we have graduate assistants. So Usually in our department, um, those run through the writing center. So I'm going to give a shout out to Miss Stancy Bond. And they work with her to help run the center. They also do tutoring. There's also a writing fellows program where these GAs are embedded in our intro to college writing classes. I'm working with one GA right now in my intro to college writing class. And they really um, have that opportunity to do some professionalization, work with faculty, work with other students. And it's really a nice kind of well-rounded experience, I think, for the GAs that we have. But in terms of just knowing what's available, my biggest piece of advice is just to contact someone in the department or unit that you intend to study within and 
just go ahead and introduce yourself, start making those connections and see what they have available. That's always good advice to just reach out and connect with somebody, mm-hmm. no matter no matter what you're doing. It's always a good idea, but especially when it comes to jobs and internships and then graduate assistantships, which are highly sought after a lot of times. So. Absolutely. Talk to us about maybe other work experiences you've had. Surely you haven't just taught English your whole life. Surely young, young Dr. Black. Well, Hannah, I, I hate to disappoint you. You're a pure, you're a pure I'm, English teaching. I am. I oh am. my goodness. You are, you, I, this is our fourth season. We're almost at a hundred interviews and I, maybe we've seen maybe one other pure, like discipline focused uh, person. So yeah. you are out there <laughs> to we, all our viewers. We, we, do, we do exist, right? So uh, that's awesome. I respect and I admire people like you who really take what they love and sort of pursue it wholeheartedly. Mm. Can we, can I ask you some questions about like maybe what it means to be a person who comes and then, okay, okay, I'm gonna get personal, right? Okay. You're married to another faculty member. That, that is accurate. Yeah. (laughs) What does it mean to be a dual career couple, right? I did meet my my partner here at Northwest. So that's another wonderful thing that Northwest has given to me, right? But for me, um, I never envisioned that envisioned that happening. So just because I, I always thought I would love to keep work separate, right? Nobody wants to go home and talk <laughs> about work all the time. However, I think for us, it works really well. We're able to kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And it's, you know, we're we're lucky enough that we're interested in the kind of same areas which makes it nice. But of course, sometimes it would be nice just to be, <laughs> to be able to leave work at work. But I, th- I think it's, it's, it's been nice, a positive. You have the same, the same academic schedule, right? So, I mean, you, yeah. you have the, the sort of, I don't want to say leisure because it's definitely not leisure, but no. you know, you have sort of this, this alignment that maybe other people, maybe an understanding of what you do, yes, how you're serving the, the campus community that maybe wouldn't be there otherwise. Absolutely, because there's so much that goes on beyond just teaching the courses that we teach, you know, and I think that's one thing for people who are outside of academia that are even our students that they don't quite just know like what's happening behind the curtain, so to speak, right? So all of the different service things that we do, whether it's on other committees or working with student groups, advising our students, recruiting students. And then, of course, there's also the research that we do. Um that is outside of outside of teaching, but also very much important as it's one of our job requirements that we do that. So yeah, there's a lot of facets to our job. I think that a lot of people just maybe wouldn't envision, right? Or don't quite understand. So how do you juggle that? Having a, a schedule. <laughs> I've got my my daily planner <laughs> set beside me right now. And I think that's a lot of it. I think it's also important whenever you're first getting started to be really gracious with yourself. It, it took me a little bit to kind of get my schedule and what works well for me, like really going. So knowing how long I need to be able to grade something, you know, and being an English professor, grading is a very large part of, of what we do. So understanding how long it takes for me to do something, when am I going to need to devote time just to reading when do I need to set aside time for advising? Just really keeping track of what's upcoming and just trying to make a daily list, right? This is what I have time to do today. And it's okay if I don't get everything done, but 
really just trying to stay organized and use my time wisely. You mentioned reading and you know, you're know you an English education professor, yeah. so I'm sure reading's a big part of it. Hannah and I are both big readers. What are some, some book recommendations you would have for oh, maybe listeners out there? I mean, feel free to give us 10 categories and your top three in each. Over the summer, I taught a course in young adult lit. That's one of my areas of specialization. I've got it right here, so I'm reaching for it. So the most recent like Prince Award winner, which is kind of like the Pulitzer Prize for young adult authors um, from this year is it's called Firekeeper's Daughter. Highly recommend my uh, teaching reading class. We're working with this as our common read this semester. So think true crime um, in native communities. Very good. Very, very good. I'm also, let's see. In my Southern literature class, we're going to be finishing the semester with reading two contemporary books that I would really recommend. So one is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. He's a two-time Pulitzer Prize winning author. So he takes the concept of what we understand as the Underground Railroad and he makes it a literal thing. So it's a real train. Um, so he, he takes us back in time and kind of reinvents like what would happen if it was a literal train right that these slaves were were seeking right for their freedom and then we're also going to be reading um salvage the bones by jasmine ward she's an author out of mississippi and this particular book is about or it takes place in the days leading up to hurricane katrina which was actually i think was the anniversary of it yesterday it was very recently it was very recently right so it, yeah, those are some, some good book, book recommendations. How do you find books or do, you talked about research? How do you find things to read or how do you find these books and choose to bring them into your courses? Yeah. So with young adult literature specifically, cause that's, you know, the biggest part of my research agenda, I think it's being engaged with other professionals in your community. So that's a big thing is going to conferences following academic journals, being part of other organizations, and then just kind of keeping an eye on those award winners. For me, that's kind of how I how I do it. Look at what's been nominated, look at the honor books, and just use that as your reading list, right, for the year. That's solid advice again, too. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to stay current. So I challenge myself every every fall when I use in my teaching reading class, that we will be reading the most recent award winner. So that's one way that I'm keeping myself <laughs> keeping myself accountable to staying up to date. But it, it can be a challenge. Yeah. So you mentioned your research agenda. Mm-hmm. So what is that? How did you determine what area you wanted to do research in? Um, I've always been interested in reading and teaching literature. So that is kind of like my big umbrella. But young adult literature has been something that I've been passionate about. Even when I was teaching high school English, all of my students at the time, at the time, were really excited about Twilight, about the Hunger Games. And it was just something that I could use in my classroom to help get students really excited, motivated to read. And then we could use those books as a jumping off point for other things, right? So that was one way that I kind of started to formulate my understanding of what my research agenda might be in relation to like engagement, motivation, and interest. And then as I 
went to graduate school and started to expand my knowledge base. Um, I'm really interested in anti-racist teaching and using young adult literature as a pathway to both educate ourselves about issues of race and also about how we can understand ourselves better, right, and understand the world around us better. Right now, you know, education is definitely... There's a lot of news and stuff around education, and it's a bit of a challenge. Have you found that 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 students are reacting to that or questioning about that? Or, you know, being a teacher of teachers, I would imagine that it can be difficult at times to find people that want to go into school settings in the current climate. That's very much true, Travis. Um, the students that, that I work with are very well aware, right, of the current cultural climate and its relation to teachers and what teachers should or should not be doing or should and should not be teaching, right, or assigning their students um, to read. And it's a conversation that we just, we have to have. There's no way around it because it's, it is a challenge. Previously, those conversations with me used to look like censorship. Students were so worried about what would, what would I do if a parent would say, you know, my child can't read this. What would I say? What would we do? And it's molded into something different now, right? It's it's very much a part of the present um, conversation. So we we do talk a lot about knowing our communities. It's not enough that we know our content areas, but we do need to know our communities um, where we're going to be teaching, getting to know our students and their families as to the extent that we can. Um, but also making sure that we feel comfortable, I think, with, you know, our, our fellow teachers and administrators at our schools, making sure that we hopefully are able to find a place to teach where we feel supported. So if we do have someone speak up, that we know that someone will have our back, right? If we're wanting to teach to kill a mockingbird, for example, right? Or something like that, that we'll have someone else who can who can step up and speak speak merit to that text. So it's pretty complicated, right, at, at the current moment. But the teachers that we have, at least the future teachers that we have, I think are, are still really excited and they're ready to accept that challenge, right? If you had, I mean, you have a platform right now, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> what, what would you say to any student out there who is going to be a future teacher? Words of encouragement, maybe. For me personally, it, I was, it was the most exhausted I ever was at the end of the day. Um, even after having a child, I, I'm not sure there's a different tired than teacher tired, <laughs> but it is one of the most fulfilling things that you can do, I think, to work with young people, to work with them in that moment of time of where they are in their adolescence. I mean, they're not adults yet. They're not children. And that you're able to really see them get excited, hopefully about something and to really work toward just making their day to day a little bit more, a little bit more fun, right? A little bit more creative, a little bit more insightful, and that you have the opportunity to really help them understand themselves better through reading, right? Or through study. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. That'll do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat, and we'll talk to you next time. Mm -hmm.